0: Hello, and all aboard for the We Are Rail Fans podcast. The series for rail fans by rail fans exploring all areas of the rail hobby from around the globe. I'm Sam, and this week you've been busy on the We Are Rail Fans Facebook page talking about this series. Danny from Denmark tells us, Hey, I really like the podcast, especially the last episode with maintenance driver Martin and his tamper. It's cool to get an insight into the railway world, and not only as a passenger, but also everything behind it. I think this is important when it comes to creating greater interest in this amazing world and hobby. Thanks Danny. If you've missed any of our previous episodes, they're available wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to visit the We Are RailFans website at WeRailfans.com for all the latest news from the train world. So far this series we've been on an HST. We've been to Denmark to ride on the Lint 41 and we've driven a virtual train. In the last episode, I asked you to let me know what your favourite locomotive is and we've had a brilliant response from you. Bear from the UK says, My favourite train is the Class 37, number 610. I saw it at Lockerbie Station on the 4th of August. Isaac's been in touch to tell us that his favourite loco is a Class 47's and he last saw one on the 8th of August. Emil from Denmark thinks dsb class sa is his favorite train he says the last time he saw one was a couple of days ago ms calliwell from the usa says i love frisco 1630 saw her run on july 3rd at union illinois and noah added that his favorite locomotive is the litra me operated by dsb thanks for all those messages great to hear from you and it's brilliant to find out how far around the world this podcast is reaching let me know your favourite train via the We Are Rail Fans Facebook page and who knows, maybe we'll be reading it out here next time. Now, the locomotive drivers we've spoken to so far in this series have all been professionals, driving equipment after many months, if not years, of training. But what is it like for someone with no experience at all? Last month, web editor for the We Are Rail Fans website Joe Rogers got his first taste of driving a steam locomotive on an active heritage railway. Today, we're going to hear a little more about his origins as a rail fan and what that experience was like. Hi, Joe. Thanks for being with us today.
1: Hi, Sam. Yeah, great to be here.
0: You're the web editor for We Are Rail Fans. What does that actually involve? That involves going out there and finding what it
1: is exactly that rail fans love what is it that they want to do what is it they want to learn about what is it they want to understand so much out there to learn about trains and part of my job is to research collate curate and sometimes create some of that content
0: for the benefit of the railfan community so i would imagine a fair amount of expertise of railways around the world is pretty much required to do that job when did you first get into trains what are your first memories of the railway
1: well i've been a rail fan as long as I can remember. And some of my first memories of railways and trains uh, all stems back to family holidays. Uh, every year as a as a family, we would go to North Wales. I'm sure there's a number of British rail fans out there that will know all about the great little railways of Wales. So you're talking about the Fastiniog Railway and the Tallilin Railway, Langothlin, little places like Betsy that have uh, fantastic little railway museums, miniature railway exhibitions. Uh, and that's basically what we used to do every year. We'd go on holiday to North Wales. We'd, we'd stop on the coast. And at some point during the holiday, we would go and see something to do with trains, if anything, just to keep me and my brother busy. But of course, all those memories and experiences of seeing, you know, all these steam and diesel locomotives, a lot of them small because they're narrow gauge lines in Wales. It was fascinating. So that's, that's really where all that rail fan enthusiasm comes from. As far as expertise is concerned, I did a few things later in life, I'm sure we'll talk about, that um, sort of solidified that knowledge. But as that knowledge has grown, I have gone on to appreciate railroads and railways in, in different countries. So a particular area of fascination for me is railroading in the United States. I've never been to America. I've never been to the United States. But everything you see and learn through some of the articles, obviously, we have contributed to the website is incredible you know the size of the locomotives the length of the consists the the many hundreds and thousands of miles that the the tracks go across the whole continent that's a real area of fascination for me it's something i'd really like to explore but i have uh been on railways in europe so um, i've traveled around france and into the netherlands and uh, austria and european railways i think are, are really interesting as well so over the course of you know two almost three decades i've Try to expand my knowledge of railways as much as possible. But that all started, really, as I say,
0: with those family holidays back in Wales. Now, We Are Railfans has been active for just over a year. What were you doing before that? So, obviously, it's everyone's
1: dream to do what they love. And uh, having been a rail fan and had all those memories of those holidays in Wales, um, it would be great if one day I could actually work with railways. And fortunately, I got my chance to do that a few years ago, Uh, I got the chance to work for a company called Pico. Modelers, any modelers that are listening will know of Pico. They're the world's foremost manufacturer of model railway track, and they export that track all over the world to the United States and Australia and Germany. And uh, I was fortunate because I live just down the road from where they make all that stuff in a place called Beer in Devon. I'd never actually worked in the factory. I didn't actually have anything to do with the manufacturing. But Pico have a garden area, a tourist attraction, open to the public. And as part of that garden, they have a a ride on miniature railway, the Beer Heights Light Railway. So uh, I actually started working there in the ice cream hut, serving ice cream. But over the course of three years, uh, sort of rose the ranks, if you like, and got really involved with the running of that tourist operation, which naturally involved helping run the railway as well. So all of a sudden taking that passion as a child, um, converted into a job as an adult. Then after that, uh, I sort of made an upgrade, if you like. Time moves on, and of course, um, some people move from one thing to another. And so I got involved then with a, a proper standard gauge railway, another tourist venture, tourist attraction, uh, this time the West Somerset Railway in Somerset in southwest England. And that's a proper standard-gauge railway. It's 22 miles long. It's the longest heritage railway in England, first opened in 1862. And uh, the most important thing about both of those jobs... It's that I got to learn a lot about what rail fans are, who they are, what they do, what they're passionate about. A lot of the tourists and the visitors to these attractions were uh, and are rail fans and they have their own areas of passion and communicating with those and learning about what they want and what they like um, was invaluable really to then take into We Are Rail Fans where communicating and engaging with rail fans is very much part of the job.
0: you're listening to the we are rail fans podcast i'm sam and today's guest is joe the web editor from the we are rail fans website and joe you're here today to talk about a very special day in your life the day you got to drive a train but before we hear about that had you driven anything train related before
1: Yeah. So I mentioned my time at Pico earlier and the little ride on railway they had there. And of course, when you're working somewhere like that for three years, it's very difficult to pass the opportunity to have a go yourself. So I was very fortunate one day I got the chance to drive one of their locomotives. Now that railway, it's a miniature railway, It's seven and a quarter inch gauge. So uh, it's what, people would describe really as like a garden railway and that's kind of what it is because it goes around the gardens at just just above where the factory is. The locomotive I got a chance to drive was called Dicky. It's an 042 locomotive uh, built in 1976 and the interesting thing about miniature locomotives and miniature railways is there is no fireman and driver like on a traditional full scale steam locomotive one person has to do both jobs because it's so small you're literally sat sort of on the locomotive if you like it's got a it's got a firebox it's got a boiler it's a proper steam locomotive just like a full scale one Just miniaturized. So you've got to shovel the coal into the firebox as well as operate the regulator and the brakes and and all that kind of thing. So you've actually got to do more with a miniature locomotive than you have on a full scale locomotive. And yeah, I was amazed to get a chance to do that. The Beer Heights Light Railway actually is one of the larger seven and a quarter inch gauge railways in England. And um, it was very, very exciting. Uh, Also a little bit scary. It's a lot of responsibility. Particularly when you're going up and down gradients. Gradients are obviously accentuated much more with a miniature locomotive. It's less powerful. And of course, I wasn't hauling passengers or anything. It'd be far too dangerous to let a novice do that. So it was just an empty stock. And I went round a couple of times and had a sort of terrified but also delighted uh, smile on my face going round, having to, you know, work all these different things at once. So that was the first taste I had at actually operating anything to do with a railway albeit um, quite small and and miniature.
0: So did that experience of working in miniature prepare you for working on a full-size steam locomotive?
1: It did and it didn't. It did in the the general concept of operating a locomotive was sort of ingrained in that experience. You know, you got a taste for the responsibility, uh, you got a taste for actually what the components are that operate a locomotive. I'd never done anything like that before, so I didn't know what the reverser was. I didn't know what the regulator was. Um, for those that don't know, the reverser obviously changes your direction of travel, a bit like a sort of gear stick, if you like, and the regulator is basically the throttle. So just knowing those pieces of information, exactly what did what, that was very valuable and and would be relevant to driving a full-size steam locomotive. What really did help was actually another experience I had driving uh, another small locomotive, this time standard gauge, but on an industrial railway. So um, this was actually just a straight up and down piece of track, nothing exciting, nothing complicated. This was a few years later, uh, I got the chance to just uh, shunt a little locomotive up and down uh, that straight bit of track. And that was a bit more relevant and a bit closer to the real thing in that it was it was a bigger locomotive as i say standard gauge but still a very small industrial loco you got a bit more of a feel about sort of standing up high and letting the firemen do their thing putting the coal in the firebox because that's their responsibility you're just there to operate the regulator to look out the window to blow the whistle and and decide where you're going so that was a bit more relevant but still not quite the real thing it was closed off it was restricted it was just going forwards and backwards it wasn't particularly um, exciting so to speak so that experience actually was more relevant to the later experience which we will come on to about actually driving a steam locomotive for the for the first time
0: so far joe you've only alluded to what kind of trains you actually drove uh, we've got a fairly expert listening audience here i'm sure you can go into a little bit more depth did the train have a name? I mean, uh, what what exactly were you driving?
1: Of course, yeah. So uh, a lot of people will, will know Andrew Barclay locomotives. They were a company that made these very small industrial locomotives. And uh, as I say, that next step up on this closed off bit of track, this was actually an 040 Uh, Andrew Barclay industrial loco built in about 1920 it was called Lady Nan and it was the guy that owns the locomotive he was the one actually instructing me saying you know don't put your hands here and this is the regulator and this is the reverser so yeah totally different to the miniature railway because it was standard gauge and a very old very old locomotive you know as I say that miniature loco was from 1976 this was from 1920 a much older much more fragile piece of equipment and therefore you know great privilege to be able to operate.
0: So did they just let you tip up and have a go? Or what were the steps you had to go through in order to, uh, to get the team to trust you to take this on?
1: So with that industrial loco, it was actually something that was open to a select number of people on that day. You could just turn up and you could pay a donation. Um, Because it was at a railway that is raising money to restore these things, maintain uh, locomotives and stations and the signal boxes. And they had a number of spaces available where you could make a modest donation and, and have a go. And when I say have a go, the whole experience lasted probably less than about 10 minutes. So it was really just a taster for exactly what it was. As I say on a closed off bit of track, totally separate to the, to the rest of any main line or anything like that. And there is an element of trust because these people that are operating the locomotive, these instructors, they are obviously trusting that, you know, a little bit of common sense, you know, not to touch this or touch that, or, you know, act the fool or um, be irresponsible. So of course they ask you to climb up. And of course, that's the first challenge, because there's probably some people out there that, you know, if you're um, perhaps slightly older or you may not be able to actually hoist yourself up into the locomotive. So that's actually quite an effort in itself. Of course, if you touch certain things, they're too hot. So you've got to know where to touch. They will instruct you where to go and, and what to hold on to. Then once you're up there, you realize how high it is as well. And there's not much room for manoeuvre. I mean, normally you have two people on a footplate. Occasionally you might have a third if someone's training. And that's kind of the environment that we're talking about here because you're a, a novice and you're doing this for the first time. But you've got to know where to stand, not to get in their way. They've got things to do. They've got responsibilities. So you've got to respect them and let them get on with what they're doing and, and wait for that opportunity for them to tell you what to do. So, yeah, there is a responsibility for both the people instructing and the and the person that's being instructed.
0: Now, you referenced the size of the cab and the height that it was off the ground, but then you've got the sound and the smell and the heat and the smoke and the steam. How intimidating was it being up there? Was it quite scary? It was, but I'll tell you what was more scary than the industrial locomotive
1: was actually the first time on a proper steam locomotive. So this was what I did a couple of weeks ago, and this is where things got really scary, because this locomotive was much bigger, still standard gauge, but wholly more complicated and a proper locomotive like when you look at it it was the real deal this was on a not on a closed off piece of track or an industrial railway this was actually on an active heritage railway it had just pulled in to the station having dropped off a load of passengers and it was going to go off into a siding and drop off some empty stock and again this was a sort of invitation thing i was asked by the driver if i would like to step into the cab uh, not with any expectation of actually doing anything. I thought I was just going to get a bit of a ride. Yeah, so same as the industrial loco, you climb up into the cab, it's 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 tall. A bit more room to manoeuvre in this locomotive because it was much bigger. It was a, a GWR Large Prairie, so that's a, a 262 locomotive. Again, the what to do, where to stand, where to touch is the most important thing you get sort of drilled into from the start. The first thing the driver said was, any pipes that are black, don't touch. Because if they're black, they're like hot kettle elements. You know, they're, they're boiling hot. They will take the skin off your hands. So that was the first thing you said. And I was like, right, OK, this is the real deal here. Unlike the industrial loco as well, this cab was enclosed, had a roof. The industrial loco was a bit more open, much more air flowing through. And of course, there was nothing behind it. There was no stock, there's no carriages. With this loco, there was this empty set of carriages that had dropped off a load of people. Even though the cab was actually bigger physically, it felt much more confined. And that was intimidating. But then what was also scary was when things were moving, the noises and the sounds and the the, the heat and the movement, and it's all quite unpredictable. A bit like, when you 're in a car or on a plane, the pilot or the driver knows exactly what 's going on. They know you know if there's turbulence coming it's going to get a bit bumpy or you know if take a corner quite sharp, the driver knows that they 're in control. And I'm sure that the driver and the fireman of this locomotive were absolutely 100% in control. But when you're standing there holding onto a bit of rail that you've been told to hold onto because it's not going to burn your hand off, and then all of a sudden you get jolted and jerked and the whistle blows and steam comes out of nowhere and you feel the heat from the boiler and then they open the firebox and your face gets baked in heat from the coal. All of that happening in a real short period of time is quite scary if you've never done it before. And as I say, even with that minor experience on the industrial loco and the even even less significant experience on the miniature logo, even with that in the back of my head, all of this on this big, large prairie engine was really intimidating and a little bit terrifying. So it was quite a quite a thing.
0: When you were invited to the cab, your expectation was that you were just going to be standing there and watching, and that in itself would have been quite an experience. But you actually got to take control. How was that?
1: Just as terrifying. Uh, I didn't expect to actually be asked to operate anything, and so we pulled off into a siding. We dropped the nt coaches off. Uh, we then pulled into a separate area of the track, uh, where the next manoeuvre was to then reverse onto the shed, and that was it. That would be the end of the loco's duties for the day. My expectation was that we were just going to shunt into the shed, and I'd be told, sort of, thanks very much. Yeah, hope you enjoyed it, and uh, and off you go. But after we'd uncoupled the carriages. And we got into this siding and we were ready to reverse. I was given a cloth and said, right, put the reverser in reverse. And I was sort of looking at both these chaps thinking, what are you doing? This is is totally insane. All totally legitimate, of course. I mean, people are invited onto the footplate at various times if they're lucky enough. So there was nothing untoward about this experience at all. But I was sort of holding this cloth thinking, what am I going to do? And all of that minor knowledge that you had about those other that you've driven just totally goes out the window you just got this cloth in your hand and you're told to put your hand on this lever and pull it backwards so at that point you sort of snap into action you kind of think okay well i've been asked to do this i'm going to do this because this is the only chance i'm ever going to get to to do this so yeah they said right put your hands on the reverser and give it a pull backwards to put the locomotive from forward into reverse and it was really embarrassing because i couldn't do it i wasn't strong enough Uh, I was holding on to this thing and and again, some people might know with a reverser on a Steam Loco you kind of have to pinch two parts together it doesn't just pull back like a a gear stick you kind of have a mechanism to release it then you try and pull it back into the reverse position and I, I just couldn't do it, I just wasn't strong enough so this chap, the driver then had to sort of grab me by the arm and pull me backwards, he was much stronger than I was. So that was a bit embarrassing and it also added to that Fear, if you like, because it was all of a sudden like, well, can I do this? Am I actually capable of doing this? I've never done this before. You know, can I get this loco moving? But that was actually the hardest bit. So once the reverser was in reverse, then you could think about using the regulator and and the brakes to, to get going. But there was another complication, which was the siding we were in had a gradient. So if I'd have just let the brakes off, we'd have rolled forward into the buffers, which again is a terrifying prospect and not something that you really want to do the first time you're driving a steam locomotive. So I actually had to do a reverse hill start as the first thing I'd ever done in a full-size steam loco. So that involved letting the brakes off at the same time, applying the regulator with the reverse and reverse so that the loco would go backwards, much like a hill start in a car. You're sort of coming off the clutch and letting off the handbrake at the same time so that you go forward without rolling backwards down the hill. This was kind of the same, but in reverse. So that was also very scary. And then all those things I spoke about with jolting and the noise and the heat and all those things happening at once was happening again. But this time you were in control. And so it felt totally different because as you're moving, you think my hands on the regulator. And if I do something with my hand, that's going to affect what this loco is doing. Then there's the question of, well, where are we going? How fast are we going? When do I need to stop? And unlike a car where you can just come off the throttle and immediately the car starts slowing down. A locomotive has momentum. You know, it's a big weighty thing. It weighs, you know, I dare say hundreds of tons. And you're very quickly going down the track and you're accelerating. So when you shut the regulator, you kind of think, oh, well, that's it. I'll start slowing down now. But you don't. You just go the sort of same speed. And okay, we were slowing down a little bit because we're on a gradient. But that in itself was also quite terrifying because you think, right, I have really got to stop here something that caught my eye. So you're looking through a very small window backwards because we're traveling backwards. And I saw a sign saying stop. And I thought, uh, am I expected to know that I've got to stop there? And so I turned to the driver and said, there's a stop sign. He said, no, 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 that's okay. The stop sign has an arrow. That means that if you're going off onto the points, you need to stop. But we're not. We're going straight on into the shed. So don't worry about that. Okay, I don't want to be going through any red signals or anything like that. So then we sort of shunt backwards, shunt backwards. And uh, we sort of get into the shed and then it's time to stop. So hand off the regulator and then you put your hand on another handle, which is the brake. The brake, the lever that you use to operate the brakes is really loose. It's so loose. Like, you can do anything with it. It just plays around. You touch it and you start to stop immediately. And so you've got to be very gentle with the brakes on that particular locomotive. I don't know whether it's the same on others. That was a skill in itself, having to not brake too much, brake it'll be like having a really loose brake pedal in a car. And then we come to a stop and it's all over and that's it, you're done. Like It's lasted all but two or three minutes and it's been the most exciting, terrifying thing that you've ever done in your life and it's over and you sort of breathe a sigh of relief and then you get let down and that's you kind of then have the rest of the day to digest it. But yeah, I didn't expect to be ever in the controls of that locomotive on that day. I thought it would just be a very privileged cab ride for five minutes or so and actually being has to operate it um being given that chance was just incredible
0: that sounds like a dream come true for any rail fan has that now satisfied you for the rest of your life that's a thing you've done you've ticked that box or has it given you the bug to do more
1: i'd love to do more i'd love to do more and if i was ever given the chance to do anything like that again i would break someone's arm off to do it like it, it was just incredible it was the realization of a childhood dream those holidays back in wales seem like such a long time ago but if you told the little three four five year old joe that in however many years time he'd get the chance to actually operate one of these things properly he'd be jumping up and down on the platform as as i was afterwards you know just with all that adrenaline pumping so yeah i would love to do something like that again in terms of catching the bug you have to understand that these opportunities don't come around very often yes you can volunteer yes you can go into into a career driving locomotives of course none of them are steam these days they're all diesel and electric but i'd love to do it again and i'd love to do it again more often and i'd love to try something different i'd love to try a bigger locomotive i'd love to try a diesel locomotive i'd love to try electric i'd love to you know do something meaningful like shunting or you know dare i say even uh, a passenger train or something it, your brain runs away with you. You think about all these different things that you could do now. Now you've had this taste and of course you have to rein yourself in a little bit because to do it properly there is training. You know, you do have to know what you're doing. You do have to be signed off. You do have to pass exams. But yeah, I would I'd love to have a go again. It was it was amazing and it was something I'll remember for the rest of my life.
0: So you already volunteer at a heritage railway. Let's say I wanted to get involved. I want to have the experience you just had. Uh, on a formalised basis, what would I need to do uh, upon joining a heritage railway to, to get elevated to the point at which they'd turn me loose, which might not be the best idea?
1: So, the traditional sort of path, if you like, and we're not just talking about volunteering here, back in the days of British Rail and the Big Four and, uh, you know, sort of pre war when steam locomotives were regularly in operation, the path was I'm going to simplify this, but it was cleaner, fireman, engineman. So, you'd start off as a locomotive cleaner. After so many years training and and learning all that knowledge, you then became a fireman. Uh, And then, with all that footplate experience being a fireman, you, you then might get the chance to become a driver. It's kind of the same with volunteering. So there's loads of heritage railways out there, not just in Britain, but in Europe and heritage railroads in America. And the process, you do have to start at the bottom because there is a lot to learn. And it does take many years. If you want to become a regular locomotive driver, not just a one-off five-minute experience, you do have to learn all that information and and all that knowledge as you would if you were working on a railway full-time Back in the day. So volunteering for a heritage railway and saying you'd like to be a cleaner, a locomotive cleaner, and then eventually rising the ranks to become a fireman and driver is the best way to do it. It's the most formal way of doing it. And it's the way of doing it that's going to get you the most relevant experience because you are going to rise those ranks very much the same way that, that someone would have done 50, 60, 70, 100 years ago.
0: That sounds great if you've decided that actually you would really like to pursue driving one of these beasts on a regular basis. But what if someone wanted to just give it a go? Is there actually the opportunity to have an experience like you described just now?
1: Yes. So as part of their many income streams that they have to keep running, heritage railways often provide engine courses where you can sometimes spend an entire day, uh, the life of an engine driver or the life of a fireman. And uh, for people that don't necessarily want to do it sort of full time or um, they don't have the time maybe to offer all those voluntary hours Uh, that is something that you can do and it's really important it's a really important way for heritage railways to make money so yeah i mean anyone can get involved and do this as you said there's the sort of volunteer route which is more long term or you can just pay some money and do it for a couple of hours
0: As you know, we like to close out the show with a round of quick-fire questions. You ready? I am, far away. So, what's your favourite train?
1: So, having just talked about all those fantastic things with steam locomotives, actually, some of my favourite locomotives are diesels, and I quite like Class 33 locomotives. They're nicknamed Cromptons, and when I was working on the West Somerset Railway, I got to see them all the time. So, they're
0: my favourites. I think we might already know the answer to this one, but if you had to choose between steam, diesel, or modern trains, what would you go for?
1: I, I like diesels. I really like diesels. I, I, I can appreciate all three forms of traction, but diesels, for me, I think are the ones I'd have to pick.
0: Is there one train you wished you'd seen live?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I'd love to have seen something like Mallard, you know. I know a lo- that's a sort of generic, quite a common, uh, commonly picked locomotive, if you like, but the speed i've never seen a steam locomotive at speed and of course if you're going to see a steam locomotive at speed you might as well see the fastest one so i'd love to see an a4 i'd love to see mallard going full chat down the main line that would be great
0: do you have a favorite country to
1: travel by rail in? i love traveling the breadth and depth and width and length of britain i've done it for many years i'll continue to do it for as long as i can Some of the lines we have here in the United Kingdom are just incredible. Along the coastlines, through mountains, narrow gauge, standard gauge. It doesn't matter where you go. My favourite, I think, probably has to be travelling along the coast from Exeter down through to Plymouth. It's a windy track. It wasn't actually built for for conventional traction. It was an experiment by Brunel. And uh, it's just a beautiful line. So, yeah, I I have to stick in, in my home country and say, yeah, Devon and... The coast, that's probably where I'd like to travel the most,
0: where I'd love to travel the most. What will rail travel look like in the future? Will we always need train drivers?
1: I think we will always need train drivers.
0: I know there's a lot of
1: talk about automation and commuter lines and metro lines and not having anyone at the front of the train to actually do anything. But I think there will always need to be a responsible person in control of a train. And for the most part, I think that needs to be a train driver. What's perhaps more interesting is where's the future of heritage rail? Because as things progress, things like electric locomotives all of a sudden start to become heritage themselves. Will we all, all of a sudden start to see electric heritage railways? Will we see hybrid heritage railways in a few hundred years' time? That's perhaps the more interesting area of discussion, I think. But yeah, I think there will always need to be train drivers.
0: Joe, thanks a lot for coming in on the podcast. It's been really interesting to hear what a one-off experience driving a steam train can be like. And if, like Joe, you've got your own train stories about how and when you fell in love with rail, or perhaps you want to tell us about your favourite railway journey you've ever been on, then please send me a message, and we might be reading out your comments down the track. And if you are enjoying this series, please do let us know via com or use the We Are Railfans Facebook page. We'll be back with another episode as soon as the signal changes. This has been a Listen production. Thanks for travelling with us today, and if you wouldn't mind, please ensure you have all your belongings with you before you leave the show. We'll catch you next time.